The Year of the Oratory, 10th grade, 2007 to 2008. 10th grade brought a renewed focus on debate. And although I went from talking with John and Maz and Victor in computer science to Jim with Lewis and Jimmy, to English where I befriended Leslie for a few weeks and then ended up befriending Kyle the last month, and being kind of alone in psychology, but Mr. Pineda was a truly awesome person. We just didn't do much in the class. To doing nothing in Mr. Engler's class as well, to six period debate with like 10 of us, to chemistry with Harry and Kevin to finish off my day. Debate was where I made the friendships and what spurred my social growth more than anything else that year. Rebecca, Stephen, and most of the people I ended up talking with were on Facebook, except the Bybees, were in debate. Harry and I were able to get better at CX debate, and we were able to make the quarterfinals at two different tournaments to earn us four out of the ten points necessary to qualify for state. And an octofinals lost after going 4-0. The record shows us going 3-1 on the NFL website, but I'm pretty sure our coach put that in wrong. That year, we also found two novices to train in our ways of CX, Greg and Grayson. Grayson seemed like a lost little freshman at the time I met him. He'd never admit that now, the arrogant bugger. And he'd cling to me at lunch and after school so that he could learn everything I was willing to tell him about CX. Which I don't know that much, but you know. And I love to teach people and talk about debate. So I spent hours and hours preparing stuff to tell him and making sure he learned as much as my young mind knew about the event. But even I, who didn't have many friends, started to get annoyed at how much he clung to me. But complaints aside, it was a terrific experience for me to be able to share debate with someone. Greg and Grayson picked up two state points as freshmen and went on to qualify for state easily their sophomore and junior years. The new coach at Lamar this year, for their senior year, is focused on LD, so they're not doing CX anymore. Before I continue, or while I continue, at this moment in my life, I wrote a piece that looks backwards at where we have been in the previous pages and forward at what I hope would be. Maybe I should revise the song to fit the current reality of the situation. And it remains in my incomplete folder because I intend to do just that. But after losing Jordan, I began to feel alone in the world come the end of October. So I decided I might as well try to see if I could get a girlfriend or a friend. But a girlfriend just always seemed so much simpler. Deep green jungle of my past. I see all the faces that I wish would last. There was the one, my only love, the playground in the lakeside, what fun. But all was calm. There was the enemy, so strong and yet so kind, a loving hate, a brawling love, never sense in fear fun did I find. Obsession will last. Only as you sit all perfect and straight, with your red hair waving all over your freckled face. If you can tell me why, why I run and hide, why I love green, 
or why I try not to be mean. If you can tell me all the names that make up my life, then maybe, maybe, who knows? And then she hides her head a little lower, embarrassed but acted she did. Until she left, I did not know her as but a weirdo kid. There will always be one Friday. Not for what she's done, but who she is. So much of me I see. If you can tell me why. Why I run and hide. Why I love green. Why I try not to be mean. If you can tell me all the names that make up my life. Then maybe. Maybe. Who knows? The last one is always the hardest. Because it is what we remember we lost. If we just would have acted, then we might not be in such a bad spot. Ugly is what she would call the metaphor between her name and the light that she brings. A recluse like I will always be. Yet if only, if only she would see if you can tell me why why I run and hide why I love green or why I try not to be mean if you can tell me all the names that make up my life then maybe maybe who knows who should I love in the present as life seems so complex I know that they will just hate me. I know I'm not brave, heck. We never know how far a smile travels once it has left the lips to the heart of a secret admirer. Bravery, laughter, a grip. There are those that we only see for a moment. Their kindness will never forget. But their name unknown. Your brown hair waves and your blue eyes blink in your kind face in so much hope, I think. If you can tell me why, why I run and hide, why I love green, or why I try not to be mean. If you can tell me all the names that make up my life, then maybe, maybe. According to my logical way of thinking, the freshman chick with brown hair and blue eyes seemed like the easiest to turn into a reality, so I went for it. There really was never a shot. I mean, at least I got to talk with Rebecca a couple of times as she was one of the, the new freshmen on the debate team and went to tournaments with us. But she knew how to be social and a part of society, and frankly, I didn't. And probably still don't. <laughs> but I learned some side points. Besides the all-too-common story of rejection, and the first, as promised, starts with my best bud, Steven. Steven's the type of kid that you'd have to watch closely, or he was going to end up doing some drugs and having a kid before he graduated high school, which is what ended up happening, but he still got two and a half years to go, 
at this point in time, as did I. But I met him way back before high school. Even in sixth grade, my mom had already drilled into my head that I had to start being more social and talking to people. And I'm sure she mentioned it at least twice that the bus would be a great place to meet people. I know that she rode a bus to work in junior college for two years, but on a high school bus, junior high bus, same bus. No one really talks in the morning. Some weird guy or girl sits next to you, you're lucky to get a hello, and maybe a miracle happens and you actually get to talk about something. Usually, one ends up staring out the window with the inability to make conversation. This was magnified between my fear of initiating conversation and my obsession through repetition that I had to act and try to reach out to make friends or suffer the consequences of failure. So when Steven sat next to me on the bus sometime in the first few weeks of school, I figured it was an excellent time to start seriously considering talking to whoever happened to sit next to me. But when the same Steven sat next to me the very next day, I mean, I didn't even say anything to him, it seemed familiar territory. So I figured that I might as well say hi and try to start up a conversation. I'm not exactly sure how it all went down. We probably started talking about the bus, which led me to talking about RVs. My grandparents had one at the time, and I was always fascinated by them. And an RV special I'd seen on TV, but somehow, I made a friend. But unlike most friends, this was a friend not because we were in a class together. We only ever had AP US history at the same time. Steven dropped the course within the first few weeks. But because we actually just wanted to be friends. The bus opened up, at least us sixth graders did, and for that year and the next, there was a group of four to six of us who chatted on the bus every day. As band and riding to school with friends became fashionable later on in our schooling, this band of friends slowly dissolved. But come ninth grade, Stephen and I and my brother got back together because we had to help him study to pass human geography. I remember I ended up watching Peyton Manning beat the Bears in the Super Bowl at Stephen's house studying for one of the tests in human geo the next day. I was going for the Bears. We also started hanging out in the evenings and sleeping over at each other's houses or at mutual friends Logan's house. I finally got friends in my neighborhood and at least people to hang out with so I didn't have to be alone when I was at home. But sophomore year, I learned something about Steven that really stuck with me. Beneath his tough guy appearance, he was a nerd. But more than that, he was a feeler too. I already learned that people like Jordan could be special and I learned that the closest guy friend I had in high school, who I could trust with my back even if he'd get busy doing other things most of the time, the only guy that I feel comfortable telling anything in the world to, is the only person I know who's had a kid before they graduated. We ended up talking a little bit about my crush on Rebecca, with him always being hopeful and trying to hook me up. But it was the trust that we could have in each other that, in my mind, made the friendship special. Again, maybe I'm fantasizing more into it and what I would like to believe than what actually happened. But for a few weeks anyways, I had a kind of friend and that was more than enough for me. Probably the easiest way for me to show you Stephen's heart is for me to show you how he showed it to me in a song slash poem he'd written about him, himself and his freshman sweetheart Shelby. He told me once, you don't know how many girls I had to go out with to get over her after we broke up. They never ended up getting back together. 
I've never met the mother of his kid because he moved away mid-year into his junior year, and I moved away my senior year. I'd only get chronology all messed up for Steven. He gave me the note one day to read, told me not to show it to anybody, but I'm special, and I was moved at least. Why shouldn't Shelby be as well? Here was a guy pouring his heart out to a girl, and I couldn't see how someone could forget that. I can't forget it, and I only observed his heart. So at the end of the school, I violated Stephen's trust and gave Shelby the poem. They'd been broken up for a while, a few months anyways. I can't tell you how nervous I was. I hate delivering message to people. I am surprised I was even able to speak in the situation at all. If Stephen thinks that I didn't feel his fear of rejection for her, it's true. I didn't. But I felt some of it. Almost enough to make me unable to do it. But there's another part to the story that's important. The next day, I always forget that other people get the luxury of talking to people. Stephen came up to me in the hall. Not with a fiercely mad look on his face, but a smile underneath his tough guy appearance. Not sure the exact words, but somewhere along the lines of, I'm gonna kill you, or what did you do? But I just played dumb. We both knew that I couldn't hide it, but we both knew he wasn't really mad about it either. He'd live in fear of something for so long, and I just pressured that to either become a reality or to have the possibility fade away. While we stood in the hall, he asked me how I'd feel if he'd confronted Rebecca, as she passed us too. But at that moment, I realized that love wasn't about the fake illusions we put up to try to pretend that we love people. It was about action, about friendship, about doing things we are too damn afraid to ask for because the mere idea would make us curl up into a ball and die. I was level with a person for a moment of silence open to a real heart-to-heart -heart communication with a friend of mine. And that's a moment I'll never forget. I always wish that we could have said more to each other, taken the Steven style and just skipped class to say more to each other, but we didn't. And just like that, everything went back to normal. Lesson learned. Forever, I slept. Forever, your eyes will hold the memory. I saw your heart as it overtook me. I tried so hard to find the reason and understand. But at that very second, I gave my heart away. That perfect breath my mind lay beside me, and all I knew was what had taken over me. With no explanation, I am comforted by the inability to understand. Forever your eyes will hold the memory. When I wake from this dream, will you still be here? Will your smile still open up my heart and leave my skin transparent? 
you brought existence. To what I never thought could happen. A world where I find eternity's description. I followed a beautiful dream. Only to be left in reality. You reminded me of the unexplainable. Then you took control of me with your beauty, knowing you had made love in my broken heart. The perfection of love's true existence experienced for the very first time you invented love into my heart, knowing you had shown me your true beauty. I tried so hard not to awaken from this dream, but instead realized that I never fell asleep. My crush on Rebecca also brought onto me the wonderful world of Facebook. Holly had gotten me to neo-mail her because she only had neopens and for protective reasons, her parents wouldn't let her get an email or anything like that. We talked on there through most of freshman year, but although I checked it religiously when I got online, her message slowly faded away sophomore year, ending in February of that year, I believe. As discussed before, I started emailing Robin, and it was nice to be able to talk with girls on a regular basis, and over a medium where they didn't have to be ashamed to be my friend. But I'd always been a little weary of the internet, so I wasn't too sure about this whole Facebook thing. But Rebecca had a Facebook, so this could work out, right? I started messaging people on Facebook to get a hand of the medium, and tried to message Rebecca, but she wasn't very fond of me doing so. However, I did find a couple people that I ended up messaging for most of the second semester sophomore year, and it was nice to be able to have conversations with people. See Facebook messages for a complete transcript of messages sent over Facebook, except life. A delightful surprise also awaited me on Facebook. Caroline Bybee had a Facebook! In case I hadn't made it clear throughout this whole story, she was, and in many ways, still was, and still is, my symbol for love. Whenever I loved or liked or had a crush on someone, I'd always hoped that they would be like Caroline. I dreamed at night of being able to befriend her again, or just of having someone that would be able to complete me as she had for those fateful days in kindergarten. She was special to me in a way that I may never fully be able to put into words, but having a second chance to befriend the most amazing person in the world was something I couldn't pass up on. We started talking on Facebook. See life for our main discussion, although we had a few side ones as well. And her personality was just as incredible as my memory of her. Here was a person who I had placed unattainably high expectations on, and she being her had reached them. 
I didn't want to try to make her my girlfriend again. Not that I would have objected at all. But I figure I might as well try to see if she felt the same way that I felt about her. At least, you know, the five-year-old version of herself that I had up in a picture frame on my desk. It's kind of creepy, sure. But I am what I am, and she had become a part of me. And it's more or less my goal in life to be able to be that special type of person to someone else in the world because if I could just give love and hope and faith to someone else like she gave me, I don't care what I have to suffer through in my life, it would all be worth it. We sent very long messages back to each other. I'd send about three pages worth and she'd reply with a little under two. So I feel it would be a waste of space to transcribe life here, but it was a terrific experience for me to be able to communicate with someone like I was able to with her and just to be able to communicate with Caroline. I probably played my hand too stalkerish as when she got busy and couldn't reply I started sending her a brief message every time her memory of love or hope would pop into my head in a desperate manner. Which isn't every day but probably every two weeks or once a month or so and she like everyone else on Facebook just stopped responding eventually. She still tags me in stories that she writes and posts on Facebook, so at least I get to see a short story she wrote. The vegetarian that I knew changed her mind to become a writer, but she is brilliant at writing. The veterinarian that I knew changed her mind to become a writer, but she's a brilliant at writing. It never was meant to be anything more and I probably forgot that somewhere along the line, but being able to connect with her personality again was, simply put, incredible. Now, Rebecca faded away into just another awkward crush that I had who never would amount to anything, but I gained some friends at least for a little while, to help me know what it truly means to have friendships and connections. It's ironic, though, that someone who will hardly speak to you can teach you so much about friendship. Indirectly, but still. But that was one half of my sophomore year in debate. Now, for the other half. The other half has to do with the jungle of my heart, and how I was trying to process everything that was entering my life. Although, on the surface level, it dealt more and almost exclusively with my oratory. After converting the letter I wrote to Jordan into an oratory, I needed one for my final freshman year in debate. I continued practicing and memorizing it. Valerie telling me to do that oratory. Somehow, I was convinced that I had to get the message to someone. Maybe, if not Jordan herself, anyone else who would listen to me, who would be my friend. I don't ever remember working so hard and practicing so much in debate in any of my four years on anything else. Although I spent a fair amount of time senior year developing cases. 
<laughs> I never practiced debating or practiced delivering speeches, except for maybe a little bit of time speed occasionally. But individual events take time to practice, to go over the piece, to work with every detail and word, and to really come to an understanding of what was being said. Maybe that was it. Maybe I just wanted myself to learn the message of my oratory by heart. Maybe I practiced in front of my mirror every night before I went to bed for months, just to tell myself a message. Maybe I constantly sat revising my oratory, constantly watching oratory rounds, including almost exclusively watching original oratory final sophomore year, in order to critique others and learn what they did effectively so that I could constantly improve, constantly thinking and practicing and willing myself to do better. All just to tell myself a message. But if I did all that to tell myself a message, somehow between all of the work, I missed it. Or more realistically, I know exactly what I was saying, but I had lost faith that in the world and in the hope that I preached. I wanted a friend. I wanted someone else to hear my message. And I was disheartened when I couldn't find someone to fill the void. I'll post a script of my finalized oratory, although it only conveys the words and not the tune of the intro song or the phrasing that I worked on for every line throughout the entire piece and maybe some final changes that I made postscript that never got changed on the electronic copy. But first, I, maybe you don't, need to understand the mindset that I did all of this with. Somehow, despite having a crush on Rebecca, I placed more faith and hope for my future into my oratory. I was determined to make my message clear enough that someone would notice me. I had attempted to control my life, and this is how I was going to do it. But I never got anywhere with my oratory. But half the time, I would break from prelims to semi. Only once did I ever get a one in prelims. And I usually got last or second to last in semis. I tried as much as I'd ever tried before. More than, although I will not insult Micah. Michael's, Ikenna's efforts, most of my competitors in oratory. But it got me nowhere. Impromptuing my oratory junior year, I got third place in semis, one away from breaking the finals, closer than I had with an entire year's worth of effort. I wanted someone to see me, maybe recognize Maybe recognition by winning wasn't everything, but I still didn't gain a close friend, or at least it didn't seem like I had. By the time that I was done with my oratory and ready to give it up, the few friends described to Bud had started moving on. 
Sure, I met a few competitors who appreciated my oratory and my style, as well as one or two who befriended me and added me on Facebook. But eventually, I had to admit that I had given myself to a lost cause. It felt like no one respected what I had done, or at least showed it in a way that was very meaningful and substantive to me. What I had tried at, and thus I had to admit too that it was a failure. I, like everyone else, or so my philosophy went, was a loser, and I knew for certain that I couldn't change my fate. Maybe others could. After the competition season ended, I still practiced my oratory, hoping to compete at NFL districts. But the spots on our team were taken up by other competitors, some who hadn't done oratory at all or very little during the year. But I cannot complain because they each delivered an exceptional oratory. I decided that I couldn't continue to hold on to false hope. I had to let my oratory go, and make a new one for the next year, anyways. I just made the decision to put it down. And never look back. But the hardening of my heart that this brought was not a byproduct of this one act, but rather the gradual work of the year where I had learned to not care as much. I used to be terrified to ask and talk to people about things that I needed to get done, but as I slowly quit caring, this became easier and easier throughout the year. Not that I'm still not terrified at times, but to a lesser degree. However, this isn't a faith that God's got my problems, but rather a simple lack in concern for the outcomes. Why work myself up? Why feel? Why try? If it only leads to pain, I'd given up on hope. And looked desperately for anything to place my hope in, and God, being stripped from my oratory for competitive reasons, was not the most accessible or most present of forces to give me hope. I, in my view, needed a human being to be my friend, and I needed relationship more than anything. In retrospect, I think it was a bad decision. However, even now, I cannot completely reverse the decision in my mind. Nor could I see myself making any other condition under the circumstance. I hardened my heart with failure, and I closed up a part of me because I was unwilling and unable to deal with the pain that that failure of both the oratory and Jordans and relationships, the theme of everything, represented. I had to be able to look at myself in the mirror and not feel worthless and pathetic, and I chose to repress the thoughts that reminded me of that. But as my conversations with Robin pointed out, I viewed sorrow as productive, sometimes, because it helped me think. I allowed me to feel emotions and make connections that otherwise never would have been made. But I had given up caring on placing expectations that someone, anyone, was going to come and save me, and I had given up caring that I could change my fate. With a flick of the mind, I closed off a part of me that cared, the part of me that could feel and laugh and love, and reach out. 
I wish that I could say that sometime within the next few years, I realized my mistake. I came back, dusted off the door, opened up my emotions, but I didn't. I couldn't bear to feel in such a cold world. And nowhere did I ever feel secure enough to open up myself. Hopefully, one day, and maybe included later on in this story even, I am able to open up that part of me that I have given up hope on. Maybe I will find the person who can make me feel secure enough that I don't have to worry about what other people think. Sorry, Jesus, but my security in you just isn't quite there yet. Not that I dislike God, but I have the flawed expectation that I need something tangible to gain my trust. Until then, a part of me remains hidden. And I long to express tears that I cannot because the part of me that would cry is buried too far inside.